But as I said last week, we, re- we began to look at this, uh, this, this moment where Jesus had paused on his way to Jerusalem to cast out uh, a demon, a mute demon, that had possessed this man. During this event, as we looked at, Jesus was accused of completing this exorcism via the power of Beelzebub. Beelzebub, as we looked and saw, was in reference, or at that point in time anyway, was referenced to Satan. And after the accusation, Jesus decides to challenge his accusers' illogical thinking by uh, presenting to them two trains of thought. The first was that if it was by Satan's power that he cast this demon out, then he would be working, Satan would be working against himself, which is illogical, and ultimately would bring his own destruction. And then secondly, the train of thought we looked at was that if it was by God's power, then the consequence is that the kingdom of God had come upon them. Now that was profound. It would have been profound if many of them had understood that. God had come upon them. God's kingdom, not fully revealed, but partially revealed, was working in and through Jesus as he ministered. We then finish the service with a reality check aimed not just at the people in the crowd who are listening to Jesus at that time, but for all people throughout every generation. Who can remember what that statement that I read and I left with you to take away was at the end of last, last service? Yep, and what did I say? Very bluntly. Yeah, you are either with Jesus or I used a particular word. You're an enemy of Jesus. And I particularly used that word because it, 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 it highlights the significance of the either or. You are either with Jesus, you either surrender to Jesus and give your life to Jesus, or you are an enemy toward Jesus because you are a child of the world. You are a child that's rebelling against God. There is no middle ground. You can't have your feet in both camps. It doesn't work. So today we rejoin Jesus as he finishes teaching this crowd and he finishes with a final parable and that's what we're going to look at today. So if you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to Luke 11. We're going to start at verse today 24. So Jesus is still speaking here. He's just turned around and said, whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. And he goes on to say, verse 24, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, (coughs) it passes through waterless places seeking rest 
and finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. As he said these things, the woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Amen indeed. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, we say this every week because it's true. What an honour and privilege it is for us to be able to open your word and be able to hear the revelation of your truth, truth that is life-transforming. So, Lord, this morning we come as your people We recognise, Lord, that this is your church. We are your people. You are our great shepherd. And we humble ourselves before you and in the power of your Holy Spirit and the guidance of your Holy Spirit, we open your word and we ask, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to receive what it is you want us to learn this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Jesus is beginning to draw to a close his teaching in this moment and he chooses to finish this with this second parable. And this parable gives us this imagery of a wandering, restless, unclean spirit who has been seemingly exercised out of some person but who wishes to return there. Verse 24 says, When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. And finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. Now, as we have seen at various points through our journey of Luke, uh, unclean spirits are another name for demons who, according to the Bible, are fallen angels. Fallen angels, spirit beings created by God who through their God-given free will rebelled against him and was cast out of God's presence with or to, to follow their also fallen leader, Satan, uh, to wander and cause havoc amongst God's creation upon the earth. We are told that this spirit is passing through waterless places. Who can name me what a waterless place on the earth might be? A desert. A desert. Now deserts can be harsh, can be barren, can be dry environments in which not much grows, but I also believe they can be wonderful places. Has anyone been to a desert here? Yeah? 
Are they, are they also beautiful places, even though they're very dry? Oh, I can imagine, I can imagine. Church, church outing. <laughs> now, these environments, these desert places, not many people can live in deserts because of the lack of water there. I mean, only those that have probably grown up in the desert probably know how best to survive there. I mean, uh, you and me, we'd probably survive a couple of days and that'd be about it because of the harsh environment. But back in Jesus' day, there was a common belief that it was in these waterless places or these deserts or alternatively sometimes referred to as the wilderness or the desolate places is in which devils, demons, everything you can think of evil dwell. If you think back to when Jesus was uh, just at the beginning of the start of his ministry, didn't the Holy Spirit uh, uh, direct him out into the, uh, into the wilderness? And it was there where Satan met him and tempted him. And it was also, if you remember, uh, back in Luke 8, we looked at the demon-possessed man who was full with legion. You remember us looking at that? I mean, if you remember what we read there, it said for many a time this legion had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and the demon would drive him out to where? The desert. Would drive him out to the desert. But the unclean spirit in this parable is restless, quite possibly because it got a little bit comfortable in this person. Remember, Jesus refers this person to its home. Its home. And as a result, he wants to go back there. <coughs> you don't refer somewhere as your home unless you've dwelt there a while, do you? And you've got comfortable. In verse 25, and when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Now, it's nice and refreshing feeling, isn't it, when you've had a good spring clean and a good tidy up. Yeah? I mean, just think about, think about Christmas. Right? Think about Christmas just gone. January's just, just, I don't know when you put your decorations down, but think about the day when you put your Christmas decorations down. They're all back in the loft. You have a good hoover up. You put all the furniture back where you'd have to move it to put the Christmas tree up. Isn't that a wonderful feeling? Everything's back in the order. Everything's back in its right place. Looking for, unless it's Sky, she gets quite depressed on those days. Yeah, and Louise, Louise is saying she gets quite depressed. Many people get depressed. But, okay, what about uh, um, yeah, last year? Last year, who was here when we did the spring clean? I mean, come on, church, we need to talk. <laughs> I mean, some of the things that we found in the attic, I mean, I, I think they've been here since Jesus was walking on the earth. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, praise God, we got a skip and it all went. Um, it's good to have a good spring clean. <clears throat> Jesus here is given us um, a picture of the condition of this person after the unclean spirit had left. This picture that this burden has been lifted 
maybe that this person can think clearly, that they can, uh, that they, they feel clean and refreshed. They're free, released from this bondage, ready to enjoy their life ahead. But the demon, unable to find another person to possess and destroy, decides to return to the comfort of its home. And on arrival, it finds this person still vacant. Still vacant and still empty. And that's important to remember. This person is open for occupation, like some sort of spiritual hotel. And also what's important to remember is there's no hint of resilience anywhere. But seemingly too good to be true, instead of this demon just taking up occupancy itself, once again, it's very kind, isn't it? It disappears off, as we're told in verse 26, it goes and brings seven other spirits, even more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. Now we know that these other, these other demons are evil because, obviously, the passage tells us so. But we're also told that there are seven of them that this evil spirit goes and gets, which supports Jesus' comment, the last state of the person is worse than the first. See, seven, seven in the Bible is often a symbolic nature, symbolic number, and it refers to completeness, fullness, perfection. So in some respects, the severity of this second possession of this individual is not only extreme, but also gives us this picture that, the posi- that, that, that this possession has come to a completeness, a fullness, resulting now in this person, this helpless person, being ten times worse than it was at, uh, in the beginning. And probably a lot harder for anyone apart from Jesus and maybe the disciples to actually help or do anything with. It's tragic really, isn't it? The picture we have in this parable. What's the point that Jesus is trying to make? Well, quite simply, Jesus is not only speaking into the importance of responding to the power of God, but he's also in, uh, speaking into the importance of then continuing faithfully following. The focus of the parable is not on the sad situation of this evil spirit. Let's be honest, we couldn't care less. It's not on, is it? That's not the point of the parable. The point is about the person who has, who has experienced a great act of God, but has not responded to that great power. The person is now free from the, pos- uh, the possession of this demon, but now this person has this empty space left inside. If that space is not filled with the faith in God, then there is no resistance no resistance to stop the unclean spirit from returning and making matters worse. And is that not what we see in the parable? Let's take the man who we looked at last week, for instance, who Jesus exercised this demon from 
I bet he was on cloud nine when Jesus did that, full of happiness and joy after experiencing this great act of God at the hands of Jesus. Wow. But what do you think could happen to him if he walks away without filling the empty void inside with the faith and devotion to Jesus? Quite possibly, that demon's going to want to go back to his home because it's left empty. It hasn't been filled. hasn't been filled with Christ. hasn't been filled with him. There'll be no resistance. It'll just have free reign to go straight back. In essence, Jesus is teaching all present in the crowd that exorcism, to them at least, exorcism alone is not sufficient. It requires a faithful response to Jesus and a commitment to dedicate their life to him, his teachings and his ways. This alone, this alone is the only way this man can truly benefit from the freedom that was associated with this exorcism. There's another similar story in Luke's Gospel that can help show this point that Jesus is making. Uh, Please turn with me to uh, Luke 17, a few pages on. And we will get to this at some point. Luke 17... Uh, verse 11. So, on the way to Jerusalem, he, Jesus, was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. As they, as they went, they were cleansed. <coughs> then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were not ten clean, uh, cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except for this foreigner? And he said to them, him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. See, there's a difference that's happened in this story. There were ten of them who were cleansed and that's why Jesus sent them off the temple because they had to go and get cleared by the priests. But only one of them recognised the power of God and responded to the power of God. And they came back and that person came back and fell on his knees and gave God the glory and praised God for it. And what was happened? This person didn't just become cleansed, he became saved. He was saved because of his faith that he put in Jesus. Mm. 
See, that, in essence, is what Jesus, if he was speak, get that picture of, this, of, of Jesus speaking directly to that demon-possessed man that he cast the demon out of. In essence, it would be the same thing. Give praise and glory to God. Fall on your knees and praise him. Give your life to him. Don't just run off and go, hey, I'm, 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 I'm healed without honouring the person who healed you. You see, Jesus never performed amazing miracles not, uh, uh, because he wanted everybody to, to stand in the crowd and go, ooh, ah, clap and cheer and, and probably shout for an encore. That's not why he did it. The reason he performed miracles was not only as a witness to the power of God and to support the truth that the kingdom of God was there and still is here upon the earth through Jesus, but he also did it because of the great compassion and heartbreak he had for those who were not only physically and mentally in need, but also because of their spiritual lostness. Jesus understood the consequences on a person's life that wasn't full of his wonderful living water. A life that had been touched by the power of God but not surrendered to the power of God. The consequence of that? A slippery slope backwards. A door left wide open. I mean, I could go off here and spend the rest of our time together just talking about those who we know in our lives who have heard God's word, who God has revealed himself to them, but they didn't do anything with it. And now they're back in the world. He was appealing to this man who was now free to listen to the, his words and apply them by coming and surrendering to Jesus who is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. A lot of the time that was Jesus' invitation to people, as it should be to us. And that is still true today. Both to those people in this room who still don't know Jesus and those people who are in your workplaces, in your schools, your neighbours who don't know Christ. That invitation still stands. Jesus is the only way, the only truth and the only life that is worth leading, that is worth having. But also he was warning the religious leaders that were standing there, that their exorcists, now we don't know a great deal, particularly in scripture about them, but they were there, their exorcists were doing more harm than they were good because they weren't following up <laughs> with, with, in essence, discipleship, particularly discipleship based on Jesus' truth. Because, as we saw in the parable, they can walk around and go shabba and the you know demon what it might disappear. 
But if that's not backed up with a filling of Christ, then we know the consequence. So what does this all mean for us today? Now, I don't know what your thoughts are on demonic possession. I do believe demonic possession is possible. You may not see it a great deal in the West, but I do believe that demonic possession is possible. And the reason that I'm you know, pretty confident of that is because the Bible alludes that it hasn't, doesn't stop. It hasn't stopped. But also, is not evil around us all the time? Does not the devil like to look at every little possible angle and cranny and crack to be able to work his schemes in? Absolutely. But in some respects, that's irrespective. Whether you believe it or not, that's irrespective and that's not our conversation today. Because whether you believe in demonic, demonic possession in little old Whitney or not, the truth is that the devil's influence is all around us. All the time. And I would be bold enough to say, maybe even in someone's life in this room. <coughs> Satan doesn't need to possess someone to destroy their life. All he has to do is trickle feed the allures of society around us into our heads and our hearts. And actually, and, and this is a shocking truth, we'll do it for ourselves. He doesn't have to work that hard, particularly in the West. Because we're surrounded by things that lead us into sinful lives. He can sit back and have a cup of tea and rub his hands because we step into it so often, we, we fall into those traps so often. When a person lives separate from God, i.e. someone who isn't a Christian, who is living a, you know, an enmity with God in some respects, and their internal void is filled with the world around them and the allures of the world, Satan has free reign to influence their head and their heart. And the reality is that all of those things, pride and lust and greed and anger, well, they just become their friend. They become their friend. They, they, they don't, they're not bothered about all that stuff. They don't you know, necessarily hurt, care who they hurt. Now, are there good people out there who don't believe in God? Yes, there are. Of course there are. There are some wonderful people out there who do incredible things. Just look on some of the non-Christian uh, um, uh, charities. Some wonderful stuff out there. And we should be thankful that there are really good people out there. But just because they're good doesn't mean they're saved. It doesn't mean they're saved. And that actually is something that I'm sure some of you have heard in the church. But I'm a really good person, or they're a really good person. Surely God isn't going to, you know, uh, condemn them at the end of days. Open your Bible. It's pretty clear what God's, you know, God, God's expectation is. 
It doesn't mean that they're going to escape God's judgment at the end of days. And that's another lie that the devil trickles into them. It is a lie. Oh, it's okay, you're a good person. You've got a good life. You, you don't need God. You're comfortable. It's all lies. But what about us as Christians? Well, as Christians, we are called, it's part of our mandate to be dedicated to a life focused on Christ, Christ-centred and living a life that is full of kindness, of joy, of love, of peace, of patience and a plethora of other things. Living in the world and not of the world and being careful not to get sucked into the temptations, the sin of the world around us. Now, I'm going to stick my my, my neck on the line here and say, I do not believe that a genuine, spirit-filled, dedicated Christian of God, of Christ, can be demon possessed I do not believe it. And the reason I do not believe it is because those people, us, I pray in this room, are filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is never, ever going to let some genomic force take possession in our lives. No way. The Holy Spirit's power is ten times more power than any evil. But I do believe I do believe, and this is a warning to us all, I do believe that our walk with the Lord, our journey of sanctification, can be hindered by falling foul to the influence of Satan in this world. We are not, what's the word, we're not protected, you know, immune, that's the word I'm trying to find, thank you. We're not immune to that. We are not immune to that. Just look at the very public falls, which is just heartbreaking. But look at some of the public falls of some really profound pastors and theologians in in just in recent years. You know, Ravi Zachariah, Carl Lentz, and many others. Somewhere, somehow, a crack was left open and the world, Satan, sin, got in. We are not immune. But it's not just those who are high profile. It's every single one of us in this room. Every single one of us in this room. If we don't fill up on God's word every day, if we do not live a life that is prayer, that full of prayer, praying without ceasing, as the Bible says, and with the hope of the Holy Spirit actively avoiding the traps that this fallen world has that is around us every single day, we will fall, fall foul to these temptations. Yes, the Holy Spirit is in us. 
So we've got to recognise it, we've got to hear the Spirit's warning, and we've got to turn and run the other way. But too often we don't. No, Craig, not us. We're perfect Christians. Absolutely us. Let me give you some examples. Pride. Pride. Look at me. I'm wonderful at my job. Yeah, people love me. I'm better than everyone else. You, if you struggle with those th- thinking like that sometimes, you're slipping into sin. You've left a crack open. You've got to deal with that. And God will help you deal with that. But you've got to be willing and ask him to help you. What about lust? My gosh, lust is a terrible one at the minute. Well, it is, generally. But it just seems to be over the last 10 years or so, the stuff we see on television, the stuff that are just all around us. You know, lust is this, this selfish focus on sex, this selfish, maybe even desire to want to, you know, have sexual pleasures with someone other than your spouse your husband or your wife. It's in, the, in our youngsters, this whole temptation of you know, having sex before they find their husband or wife. It is all around us. And I'm sure that there are people in this room that struggle with that. In fact, I know there is. What about anger? this excessive drive inside to want to seek revenge on someone that's done you wrong. Whether it's someone cut you up on the, you know, on the way into church today, or something much worse. That's, we slip into a dangerous spiral if we allow that to penetrate our hearts. Revenge is the Lord's. Now, I'm not saying any of these things are easy. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. But we have to be aware of them and do what we can in God's strength to turn and flee from these things. What about greed? Do we know actually know what greed is? You know, how many pairs of trainers does someone need? You know, how big does our wardrobe have to be before we actually go, actually, it's probably a bit excessive. Yeah? But actually, a lot of it is to do with the way that we look at other people. Oh, I love their car. I'd love to have that car. I'm jealous of them because they, they can do this, they can go there, they can do this holiday. You know, they've got that house. They, you know, whatever it is, is desiring to have what you don't have and thinking you need what they have. So sometimes we fall into these little things and we don't think that we, that's, that's, that's sin. We don't think that that's going to put us on a spiral, but it will if we allow it to penetrate the heart. So it absolutely does affect every single one of us in this room. The simple truth is that 
if we are not surrendering to the guidance of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives, filling ourselves up with Jesus' water of life, night and day, seven days a week, then we will allow cracks to form and the world around us, under the influence of Satan, will begin to fill those empty voids for you, hindering your journey of sanctification and affecting your happiness and joy now. That's why repentance is such an important thing. It's why, why when, we, when we come together at the Lord's table, do we not spend some time at the very beginning asking the Lord to show us those areas in our life that are not pleasing to him? Asking him to show us those cracks in our life so that we can come before him and say, Lord, I am sorry. Lord, help me to overcome this before we enter and take bread and the wine. I was about to say, can I have the band up, please? But, you know, you know yeah. Thank you. So you've got to watch for the cracks. This encounter finishes in verse 27, which says, and he said these things, as he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast of which you nursed. But he said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep the word of God. Jesus isn't saying that just because he wants people just to listen to his words. He recognises the implications if we don't follow his words. Of course he does, he's God. The reason we have this is to guide us, to strengthen us, to equip us, to challenge us so that we can become more Christ-like every day so that we can get through this world. Keep our eyes fixed on him for the day either he returns or we go to glory. That's why he says, you are blessed if you hear my words and you keep my words. Friends, if we minister to someone and they give their life to Christ. We can't just leave them there in that moment. They've experienced the power of God who have opened their eyes to his truth. They were once dead, now they're alive. Once an empty void, now full with his life-giving presence. We need to help them to learn to walk every day with the Lord so to be battle ready, if you will, for when, not if, but when Satan attacks in whatever means he chooses. This is why sometimes I struggle when I hear people say, yeah, they I was talking to this person, they said the sinner's prayer and we clapped them off and that was it, they disappeared wherever they were, off they were going. It doesn't mean that they still don't have cracks, that the devil, the devil hates it when people come to Christ. Don't underestimate, that is the most important time in a believer's life, is the moment they give their life to Christ. It's like down in hell, down, you know, down in hell, wherever hell is, 
it's like beacons on the wall flashing. Someone else, someone, you know, let, let's do what we can do to try and pull them away. Part of the reason Jesus taught about the, the seeds on, the, on, the, on, the, on, the, on the, the path and the seeds that grow in thorns. We've got to help them. We need, we all must strive to keep ourselves as Christians filled with the living water of Jesus. Strive with the Holy Spirit's help to never allow the cracks to open or if they do, to try and do what we can to close them back up with God's presence so that the devil does not exploit those cracks. Remember what Peter said. Be sober-minded, be watchful. The adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he wishes to devour. If we see a brother or sister in faith with exposed cracks, living a life contrary to that which we are expected to live, it is our duty to challenge them in love and to help them come out of that. That's part of what it is to be God's family. Keep our eye out on each other. Watch each other's back. Let's be honest. We hear God's word every week. Many of us listen to podcasts and, and, and messages throughout the week and we read Christian books all the time. We know what God expects. We know what God expects. And we know the dangers that are in the world around us every single day. So my prayer for you is is that from this day and all days you stay vigilant. That you watch yourself, that you watch your brother and sister to the left and to the right of you. And that together we do what we can in the power of the Holy Spirit to stay as faithful to God's calling upon our life and his desire for us to continue this journey of sanctification as we can. And I leave the words, I leave you with words from Paul's prayer to the Thessalonian church, and he says this that the Lord is faithful. Amen? Amen. The Lord is faithful. He will establish you and he will guard you against the evil one. And may the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen.